On this episode of the 810 Talk podcast, me and Anthony talk about our own power rankings. I have an interview with the St. Bonaventure and VCU guys. We also answer some fan questions and we end the week with what to watch for. This episode is brought to you by Get Trending Productions. We just started working with Noah Goldberg and uh, what he and his guys are doing with us to bring you these episodes. So we're very excited about that. Um, so stick around and enjoy the show. The Mighty Atlantic 10 Conference. The call's on him. Five seconds to go. Charlotte Kloof gathers for the win. Kill it. It's over. For the lead, he goes! 0.1 seconds left. Crutcher nails a three for the Dayton Flyers. Lumsden with his team down by two to the corner. Caputo! No good! And it's over! St. Louis is going dancing. An unlikely run to the NCAA tournament for the Billikens as they win. Welcome to the A10 Talk Podcast presented by Get Trending Productions. And welcome back to another episode of the A10 Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Pyle, and tonight I'm joined by the one and only Anthony Morelli from St. Joe's Slash LaSalle. Anthony, how's it going? Hey, Chris. Doing well. Really excited. Another great week of college basketball, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We had kind of a crazy week this week. Um, We're not going to go too much into it, but we're going to kind of just ease on in and move forward uh, just kind of like how the league does <laughs> with all these cancellations and uh, every, all the craziness that's going with the A-10, we're just trucking right along here. So uh, we're going to kind of get into uh, power rankings. So uh, if you don't know, or if you have followed a little bit on A-10 Talk, we do a power rankings every Monday. And those are not just like my power rankings because I put it together. Uh, those are an average of everyone uh, that puts in a vote on A10 Talk uh, what the power rankings are. So you're going to get uh, kind of an exclusive insider analysis on my personal power rankings and Anthony's. And we're going to kind of maybe go a little back and forth, maybe disagree on some stuff, uh, just have a kind of a cool conversation about where we see the league uh, as power rankings wise. So I'm going to go first here, uh, and I got kind of a, a little note added for each team and where they're at, and uh, then we'll talk about it. So uh, at number one, I have St. Louis. Uh, they got their spot back this week after beating Bonaventure. Number two, I have Bonaventure because they lost to St. Louis, so they dropped. Uh, number three, I have VCU. 
they got a big win over Rhode Island this week. Uh, otherwise, they were probably going to drop in my rankings if they didn't win that game. Uh, number four, I have Richmond. They didn't play, so they don't get penalized. Simple as that. Five, I have Dayton. Uh, they lost to what is now being recognized as a formidable Duquesne team on the road. Uh, plus, they opened up their new building. But they came back and they beat Mason pretty handily on Friday night. Uh, number six, Davidson. They didn't play, plus they've lost to Dayton this year. So otherwise, I would have them at five. Uh, number seven, I'm moving up Duquesne to seven. Uh, they figured it out, and they look good now. Um, and beating kind of some lower teams in the league over the past like week and a half wasn't really a fluke now that they've beaten a pretty decent Dayton Flyers team. Uh, number eight, UMass. They beat Rhodey twice, but the thing is they've also beat Fordham and LaSalle twice. So there's kind of some question marks there. Can they beat upper upper half teams in the A-10? Uh, we'll find out. Number nine, Rhodey. Uh, they're a mess, even with Fats now, um, but they're still better than who's below them. So uh, the teams below them that I'm going to read off, they're still better than them. Um, but yeah, Rhodey's kind of a mess right now. Uh, number 10, I have Mason. Uh, they kind of beat the teams that are behind them, but they lose to whoever is in front of them. They did beat UMass, but uh, otherwise they're not going to beat very many top of the half teams. Uh, number 11, I have LaSalle. They're the most confusing team in the A-10. They beat St. Louis, but they lose to Fordham. Uh, to me, that's uh, kind of more of a negative side than positive, uh, considering Slews was still trying to get their feet back in uh, the A-10. So they're dropped one spot for me 12 i have gw uh they haven't played in a while so they're just gonna stay pat 13 fordham uh they met their quota on wins i feel and uh they're firmly in that 13 spot and then 14 i have joe's uh they they're kind of there until they get a win so anthony do you have any comments thoughts about my rankings yeah so the first thing i'm going to note is the dayton davidson one I had put in my notes, um, and I'm not trying to give it away what my ranking is. We'll go through mine. These two teams, though, were a flip for me. And I think I come out on the other end where you just said LaSalle gets penalized for a bad loss to Fordham. Well, Davidson didn't play. I think that's net neutral. That loss to Duquesne, I think that brings Dayton below, Duke, uh, below Davidson right now. Not saying they're a better team. I'm My rankings are much more on a week-to-week basis. I I'm very much more focused on what you do this week. I don't know if, how do you, do you look at like three weeks back, four weeks back, the whole body of work kind of interesting. Like maybe we have different ways of viewing our rankings. Yeah. So that's a good point. Um, I try and just look at this week. um, But if I have a hard time trying to figure out where a team should go based on another team, like, like you said, Dayton and Davidson, uh, because they're pretty equal teams. Right. Um, But because Davidson didn't play, I need a good reason to put them ahead of Dayton, which I think last week or the week before I had Davidson in front of Dayton. Um, but I don't know. I, I just kind of had them in the sixth spot. They haven't played, so I can't really bump them up. Um, but I can't really bump them down because they haven't played. It's just kind of like, I don't know, if, if it's Dayton and Davidson and one team hasn't played – then I think I'm just going to give it to Dayton just because they've beaten Davidson this season. So like you kind of have to bring a tiebreaker out of nowhere for me. Um, But 
I don't know. It's just, that's just kind of my example. You kind of use recency bias for the most part, unless you get to a tiebreaker scenario, then you kind of have to run down, you know, maybe a list of tiebreakers that you have in your head. So that's really all how I do it. How do you do it? I, I definitely go by the week. So for, do you want me to run through my listing and kind of give that example of how I, how I look at it from a weekly perspective? Yeah. I'll give you your, uh, your minute of fame here. Go ahead with your power. Let's do it. So I agree. St. Louis is number one. The, the, the LaSalle upset is bad. It doesn't look good. However, when you come out and you beat the number, our, our consensus number one for the last three weeks or four weeks, St. Bonaventure, that gets you the number one spot. You beat the best team, you prove you're the best. Uh, number two, St. Bonaventure, they're still really good. I think that they could be better than St. Louis at the end of the season. Uh, but, you know, when you lose, that's all that, you know, what matters is the game that happens and they lost. So they have to be number two for me. Uh, three, VCU. VCU is kind of like steady state. They don't really seem to change that much. Yeah, there's a couple of losses on the schedule that aren't that great. Um, but I haven't been worried enough where I think that they're worse than my number four team. Number four is Richmond. I think this rounds out what we agree on. The top four is kind of set in the Atlantic 10, uh, minus maybe an upset team here or there, which is always possible. I think the four, the, the, the leading four have really pulled themselves away from the rest of the pack and are much more consistent winners in the conference. So I think we, we are in total alignment there. Then I have number five, Davidson. Davidson's kind of tricky. First of all, half of Davidson Twitter coming at my, my LaSalle, my, my LaSalle boys. I can't have that happen. However, I got to put Davidson at number five while their schedule is really weak. I mean, no one can argue the fact that this is a really easy Atlantic 10 schedule for them. Finishing with a winning record is all that I can judge you on. And if you don't lose that many games and you don't lose bad games either, um, then I'm, I'm going to put you at five. Davidson has the record to be number five. And while Dayton, who I have number six, is a formidable opponent, I think they're an overall better team. The loss to Duquesne, that just puts them at six for me because I'm looking at it at a weekly basis. Number seven, I have UMass. Uh, it's a really good win when you don't win without Trey Mitchell. And so I don't know what the URI coach was saying about not being prepared. I don't, I don't <laughs> know how you can look in the press conference and say that. Um, but I really gave props to UMass for being a really solid URI team, who I, at least I thought was solid. Maybe they're not. Uh, without your star player, that gets you number seven in my book. Uh, number eight, Duquesne. Give them credit for their win against Dayton. This actually moves them up a spot from where I had them last week at nine. So they're getting the credit that they deserve. Number nine. Now this is going to ruffle some feathers. I actually put LaSalle at number nine and a lot of people could yell at me and say, you're crazy. And I'm probably am. Um, but I'm rewarding LaSalle for the St. Louis win. This is a week to week basis. Next week, LaSalle could be 11th for all I know. Um, that's how much I fluctuate in my rankings. LaSalle got a great win against a team that was struggling a little bit, but still a team that was much more skilled than them. I'm rewarding them with number nine. However, they could easily fall back to that 10-11 spot that they've been floating around all season. It's on a week-to-week -week basis for me. Number 10, I have Rhode Island. That UMass loss was bad. That, that was a team that was unprepared. They look lost. Um, they're probably better than LaSalle. I think we all can agree on that. But for this week, I'm looking at this week's power rankings. That loss to UMass was bad. LaSalle's win against St. Louis, that was good. And so Rhode Island is a team that needs to find itself. They need to find, I don't know if they need to go on a journey, a soul-searching journey, but I'm really worried for a team like Rhode Island who looks solid, has a decent roster, but yet the pieces just aren't coming together. I want to see them bounce back next week and reclaim that eight to seven spot that they've been in in the conference all season long. And then the bottom 
14, they're your standard. I have 11 Mason. I think it goes to show that they are better than GW, Fordham, and St. Joe's. They're just not better to be in the top 10. 12 is GW. They, As you said, they're kind of in steady state. They haven't played at all. I'm not going to penalize them. 13 Fordham, they beat LaSalle. They've gotten a, a, their second A-10 win. I think they could creep up to 12 if they keep playing decent and, and George Washington doesn't play at all. At one point, I got a reward for them for wins that they do get. And then 14 St. Joe's. I mean, just St. Joe's is bad, and I don't think they're getting a conference win for the rest of the season. Yeah, um, I, I honestly don't have that many discrepancies with that. Obviously, we do see differently on Davidson Dayton. Um, but, you know, I mean, they're both in that fifth and sixth spot, and really what's the difference there? So um, the only thing I will say uh, with UMass uh, being at seven and Duquesne eight. Um, I'm going to kind of reward Duquesne for a Dayton win. Um, even though like other teams have done it, it's still a, like a Dayton team that came off of a win against St. Louis and then a win against Rhode Island. We now know this week, those maybe not might be not as great, but still, I think Dayton could have easily lost those games as well. Plus I'm not sold on UMass. They are a really weird team. Um, they just don't seem to, they, they haven't beaten anyone that's like above them yet. So I'm not really to, I'm not ready to relinquish that spot to Duquesne yet, but Duquesne has like they've beaten Dayton. Um, and you know, they're kind of up on the rise. So I'm going to kind of reward them for that, but I, I really don't have a problem with you putting LaSalle at nine. Uh, I know people, some people might just because of the Fordham loss. I kind of had that, but like, I'm not going to argue against it because it's really more of like Rhode Island is just reeling right now. And uh, it's not really LaSalle moving up for, for me, at least it's, it wouldn't be like LaSalle moving up. It's more like Rhode Island's lost three in a row and they're reeling. So uh, they, I, I really don't have that many problem issues with yours. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I got. Um and now we are going to pause our episode to bring you two interviews this week, both by the St. Bonaventure guys, as well as our very own VCU contributor, Jason Bowman. So sit back and enjoy the interviews. Okay, we got the the voices of St. Bonaventure basketball from the SB Furled and Unfriends podcast, uh, SB Unfurled himself and Little Bona X. So we're coming about, I'd say about an hour after the St. Louis St. Bonaventure game just finished. So this is going to be kind of a rapid reaction of sorts for this. So gentlemen, tell me, how are you feeling after that game? I'm not going to lie. It is a little disappointing just because it felt like we had like a breakaway opportunity, like in a hockey game to run away with the conference. And that's clearly not going to happen. And probably was a little foolish to think that, but I saw some signs to be optimistic, not saying that I'm happy that we lost or this is like a moral victory or anything, but I have some signs of optimism. I was a little nervous that it was going to be the same old thing as last year where they beat us by like 25, but there, there are some signs there. And 
I have faith that it can we can be on the right side of things if they play the second game that we're owed at in Olean. Not gonna lie, I didn't think I'd have the stones to come on here if we lost, but uh, <laughs> sucked it up and came on to talk to you guys. Um, not worried, honestly. Uh, I said earlier, like this, really a win would have been fantastic, and a win would have put us in a stranglehold on the conference. Um, and really would have catapulted us in most brackets up to like that eight and nine game probably. But a loss really doesn't, I don't think it hurts us too much. We've lost at Rhode Island and now at St. Louis, both hopefully will end up Q1 losses at the end of the year. So, I mean, as long as we take care of business against LaSalle, which I mean, somehow they go from beating, they go from beating St. Louis and then in true LaSalle fashion, drop one to Fordham. Uh, you never know with that Jekyll and Hyde team who the hell is going to show up. I think uh, luckily we're not in Gola, so I think we just refocus and get them, take care of business in the Riley Center, and then you know avoid bad losses down the stretch. This uh, it sucked, and it would have been great to win, but overall, I mean, not not a bad loss at all. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. Uh, just outsider looking in. It doesn't really hurt their resume as much. Um, I mean, if you guys would have beat them, it probably would have dropped them a little bit. And you'd have to hope for St. Louis to win a lot more or win out the rest of the season. But this doesn't hurt you as bad. However, I do want to say that now we're looking at two losses for the Bonnies. You know, at Rhode Island, or was it? Yeah, at Rhode Island, uh, who is kind of a more defensive team. Then you got St. Louis now, who has been known to be a defensive team but they've kind of balanced themselves out a little more this year, but this game was definitely more of like a could like a little bit of a defensive battle. So is this kind of the team, like the kind of team that can expose the Bonnies a little bit in terms of the defense? Absolutely. Because clearly defense is our own strength. And so we're not going to Fordham it up and make all these games like 52 to 51 or whatever. We're going to need to shoot somewhat better than we have been and there were some signs that we did shoot better from three Jalen Attaway who hadn't hit a single three hit two and he's a transfer from Miami Ohio and last year at Miami Ohio he or two years ago at Miami Ohio he was shooting about 40 percent from three so that's something he hasn't shown at Bonaventure and now he finally has shown it today so I think that's something that's good for us to see what happened but you're right when it comes to teams that are able to frustrate our passing lanes and not get us set in offense it really bogs us down because there were times during that game where I'm like what the hell kind of shot are we creating right now it's just give it to Attaway or or Welch in the corner on the baseline and just kind of drive into somebody and throw up a 10-footer that has no chance of going in so yeah that absolutely can frustrate us because we aren't the best offensive team at times I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, if you look at maybe the best defensive team in the conference, I, I think the Bonnies were up there going into this game, but VCU, we, we did a fantastic job. And if you're talking about teams that get into the passing lane and use their athleticism, their press, they, they thrive on making teams turn the ball over and be indecisive. If you go back and watch that second half against VCU, we, we did look fantastic against a defensive team like that. So um, I think for me, more this game was more, honestly, uh, the way we played defense on the perimeter. I, I thought Ocean did a fantastic job inside against 
French. Um, he was really a force down there, but it was closing out on, on the perimeter with our wings that really, I thought, costed us this game, more so than St. Louis's defense, leaving Perkins open time after time after time, collapsing down on French when we didn't – I don't think we really needed to. He wasn't – he's not a force offensively down there, uh, especially against Oshun. So I, I thought if there was one thing that, that bugged me and frustrated me today – it was the the three point defense, and that for the, our team this year has been really one of our biggest strengths. Yeah, I I'm looking at the Ken Palm now that it's up. Uh, Hassan French held to zero points today, so that's like super impressive considering how good he is down low. Uh, but you're right, you guys gave up forty point seven percent from three. So uh, yeah, those three point shooting teams can really frustrate you, even though the Bonnies have been kind of good from three. So I mean, what's your what's your biggest concern moving forward with this team? Definitely the lack of bench. Um, the, this team looked totally gassed. I think after the under 16 timeout in the second half, probably about 15 minutes or so, and it went all the way down to like nine minutes, I think. So these teams went for, I want to say, seven minutes or so without a whistle. And you could tell we had all of our starters in and these guys were just totally winded. Um, Schmidt notorious for not going very deep into his bench. And this year especially has been uh, a very thin bench between transfers. And then Schmidt just only wanted to go seven deep anyway. Uh, I think we're maybe last in the entire country in bench minutes. So uh, guys like Oshun just looked like he was totally gassed in that stretch when Linson kind of took over a little bit. I thought Oshun could have gotten a breather, maybe taken that minute and a half off and then went into that under eight timeout and got his legs back under him. But Schmidt kept him in and he just rides these starters. Uh, and it, it kind of is like our own Ironman five, as we say, with with the Bonnies, like that 1968 team we had. So if you're talking one thing I'm worried about, getting some help from our bench for sure. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, I won't add much more than what you just said, because that's pretty much the the case The the defensive or the t- rotations on the bench was not what we needed to hold on against St. Louis. Other than the bench depth, I will say that um, we've had trouble on offense creating shots. Like I mentioned before, because it's, it's a tough system for a lot of the guys to learn with Mark Schmidt. Mark Schmidt runs a lot of creative sets, a lot of backdoor cuts, a lot of off ball screens. It was a very intricate system. And for the most part, this team has had incredible chemistry in terms of passing. It's one of the best passing teams I've seen between when we played Akron and when we played VCU, those were two of the best passing performances I've ever seen the Bonnies have. But when it came to the St. Louis game, the disruptiveness of St. Louis's physicality really did not allow us to get open passes or the open passes that we wanted. There were plenty of steals in the first half. I'm thinking back to a really brutal turnover where Jordan, I believe it was Jordan Goodwin had a, almost a wide open breakaway layup off of a steal that forced us to call a timeout. That kind of thing is going to be an issue for us because I think with the defense, the defense has been consistent. Even against St. Louis on Saturday, the defense was really good because St. Louis scored about 10 or 11 points fewer than they normally score. It's just our offense was not able to keep up. I will once say one thing about the defense that did concern me, though, on Saturday is uh, the way we switch into a 
a lot of times guys like uh, uh, Jimerson and Jacobs were left wide open in the corner for threes. And then also we were hedging on French when we didn't need to, because like you said, he scored zero points. We were hedging double teams on, um, on Hassan French and that left, that left um, open threes by Javante Perkins that really sealed the deal. Yeah. I, one thing about that bench too, um, I'm just looking at your numbers here. You only got, I mean, the biggest contribution, if you will, off the bench was Vasquez in 14 minutes, but two points and, you know, you got two mother points from Sean Creel. So combined. So as opposed to Slew's bench, you know, you have Damaris Jacobs, who's a big six man kind of guy, 11 points, Martin Lidson, 18 minutes, eight points, Fred Thatch, 14 minutes. So yeah, that, I, I kind of agree with you guys that bet your bench. If you know, if you play a team that has a bench like that, they can really, uh, really uh, run you out of the, run you out of the gym. So looking ahead, this schedule here, um, it's, it's no secret. The Vonnies have a great schedule down the stretch here. Um, as opposed, you know, just looking at the standings in the A-10. Uh, well, you can't really say that. I mean, we don't really they, know what the schedule ever is going to be, but of the games that are actually scheduled, yes, it's very easy. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my point too. So who, what, what game scares you the most? I'm looking at. Are we talking of what's on the schedule or what's not on the schedule? Because what's not in the schedule, there are three games that aren't on the schedule. There's at home against St. Louis, at home against Richmond, and at Davidson. It sounds like the Davidson game will not be scheduled. Um, Just based on what I've been hearing from Davidson fans, that's all it's based on. So that's not actual any reporting or any legitimate sourcing on that. But it just sounds like Davidson fans are skeptical that that game will actually happen. Whereas I think the A-10 is going to push for Richmond and St. Louis to come back to the Riley center because it benefits both teams because Richmond and St. Louis will get a Q one road game and we'll get another shot at possibly, you know, hopefully beating them again, or I guess St. Louis for the first time in terms of the games that we still have left to play based on what I saw out of Dayton in the last few games against St. Louis and against, um, and against George Mason, they're, they're starting to turn on a little bit. Um, Duquesne is really good. So I won't give them too much, uh, pushback for losing to Duquesne. So I will say that Dayton game on uh, February 28th is probably the toughest game remaining of the five that are scheduled. It's not really um, that much of a thing to say because the others are LaSalle at UMass at GW. And actually there's only four games scheduled because this at Duquesne game already happened last month. I'll take you down a peg and say that Dayton is a distant fourth behind St. Louis and Richmond coming to the Riley Center and us going to Davidson. So just to, just to knock you down a peg there. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Hey, I'm, I'm all for the realism here. It's cool. Uh, so let's, let's talk about what – let's talk about if the Bonnies make the tournament. So let's, let's just say for shits and giggles, the Bonnies make the tournament however they do it. What kind of team do you think the Bonnies match up really well against? Doesn't have to be like a, a team. You don't have to name one out of the country, you know, but just like what kind of team like you would love to play at the tournament? I think we match up well against, for whatever reason, the Richmond types. Um, you know, in not many P5s, I don't think are very much similar to Richmond and just the makeup of their team and that Princeton style offense. 
you know, when you think of some of the P5s, they are bigger, more athletic. They can do things that, you know, the St. Louis's of the world or even like a VCU um, who we haven't matched up that well against lately. Uh, so I would say, you know, more of the the fundamental types, the 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 more patient teams, I guess, that kind of kind of like us, we, we were patient. We run that half court offense we're not, you know, overly physical or strong, and we're also not very deep. So I, I think, you know, teams that have depth and size and physicality, our four-man Jalen Attaway is only 6'5", and he's playing our power forward spot. So, you know, teams with size and athleticism and depth give us trouble. And um, Most teams that make the tournament have all three. So they're, you know, when you make the tournament and you're between the seeds of, you know, nine to – 12 there aren't any easy matchups um i think you know this team isn't necessarily built for tournaments unfortunately i'm kind of worried about the atlantic 10 tournament because of our lack of depth playing back-to-back games maybe back-to-back-to-back games uh in 2018 we unfortunately had to go to the first four and then fly to dallas from dayton and play um, two games later. Luckily, it's all in Indy, so there won't be much traveling. But um, yeah, I, I think just teams with size and athleticism and depth. Yeah, I'd like to see a team that's very guard heavy, even though the St. Louis game was a tougher game for us from per- the perimeter. Most of the season, we have been very good at defending the three. And like Unfurled mentioned, we're a very small team. Even our bench is very small, other than Jalen shots, all guards. So what I would want to see is a guard heavy team. Somebody mentioned to me, Oh, I hope you guys end up playing Iowa and Luca Garza, which I'm sure the Dayton fans would love that. Cause you guys are still pissed at them for all the Luca Garza, Obi Toppin stuff, <laughs> but that would be a tough matchup going up against Luca Garza because they have some other big men too, as much as that would be fun to see Oshun versus Garza, that that would not be a good matchup for us. So definitely want to see some, guard heavy teams kind of styled like what you would see in the NBA or any Princeton style offenses or a 16 seed. Just give us a 16 seed to play. <laughs> Just do it. Why not? It'll be fun. You guys will notice you guys will because it'll be in the second round. Cause you'll probably get like a nine or an eight and then they'll, uh, <laughs> the 16 will beat Iowa. We'll just the Bonnie's that. versus UMBC in the second round. I yes. Like it. Let's get it. Um, final question here. Um, over under, Nine and a half, the amount of pictures Dickie V will post with Pepto the rest of the season. Oh, did you see? He's got a new sponsorship deal with Pepto. That was the most obvious thing after the AFC and <laughs> NFC title games. He's got this big like display at home. I'm going to say the over. I actually might – I wouldn't be surprised if he was in a Super Bowl commercial with them. I don't know. I haven't seen anything. But at this rate, you know, maybe it's not like actually during the game, but one of those commercials like in the – at like five o'clock in the afternoon Eastern and it's all the pregame stuff. Like maybe you'll be in a, a pregame Super Bowl commercial or something. So is he just, I don't, I think I don't follow him. I don't think. Is he just retweeting? Oh, I followed him once he was doing the Pepto stuff. Is now. he just tweeting out the same exact picture? Or is he taking new pictures with Pepto? He was taking several pictures. Knowing during Dickie. Yeah. Knowing, yeah. Knowing Dickie, he probably is posting different pictures. Like that he probably doesn't realize that his phone has like the stores, the picture. So he's like, Oh, got to take, got to take another one, baby. And then Lorraine, I need another picture. Where do I get it? (laughs) He probably, he might not have the selfie thing. Like Lorraine might be taking it from that angle. (laughs) 
<laughs> but he has like an actual display now. It wasn't just like one bottle like he was posing with during the NFC Championship. And it's definitely going to be nine and a half since he is a Buccaneers fan. He's going yeah. to be post- posing a lot oh, with yeah. the Pepto bottle. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what the listeners say because I don't know when exactly people will be listening to this um, since the Super Bowl is on Sunday. But we'll have to we'll have to see how many Pepto shots he gets in. Yeah, from 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 today, from t- this will probably air Monday. So uh, from today all the way through the rest of the college basketball season, we'll see. Not not ca- for the regular season. We'll do that. What? What's interesting? I think Maylox might be mad at him because one of his catchphrases is a Maylox masher, and Maylox is another indigestion type uh, thing you take. So. Ooh. I, I wonder how Maylox feels. They probably feel shafted. They're probably like, Dickie V, what happened here? We, we, we rode with you for this long. You get a few Aaron Rodgers bad passes away from the Super Bowl and you throw us to the curb. What the hell, man? <laughs> I kind of, I, you would think though, like with him as age, he would uh, like be in a Viagra commercial or something now. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would love it. Oh no, he doesn't need Viagra. He's a, he's a PTP or he's a primetime player. Super <laughs> scintillating, sensational Lorraine. <laughs> hey baby. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, God. So uh, anyway, that's all I have for you guys. Um, you know, Hey, if the, if the, we talked about this earlier, but if the Bonnies make it to Indy, I'm an Indy. You guys got to come down and we'll go drinking. I don't care. Like, just come on down. It, it's not that far from Western New York, right? Probably like what? Five hours. Uh, actually it's probably, probably closer like to nine eight, or 10. Eight, maybe nine, really? Where you go. Maybe yeah. I drive when we went fast. to Nash, when we went to Nashville, <laughs> it took forever to drive across the state of Ohio. That was that na- we went to Nashville for the 2012 NCAA tournament. The last time we won a tens, but yeah, we're in, I know somebody from Bonas at a, in Indianapolis. So you already said, Hey, you guys, you guys gotta come out. So I'm, seven and a half hours I'm planning on it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I guess get that down under seven. I'm sure. Yeah, maybe that's true. Yeah. I guess I'm just thinking, Oh, I just dread driving across Ohio. I've had to drive across Ohio like four or five times. It's not fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when we went to Nashville for the tournament through Ohio and then all through Kentucky, it was awful. Yeah. yeah, well, I guess driving across Ohio is worse than driving like along Lake Erie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, gentlemen, this has been great. Um, hopefully, maybe we can get you back on here later when we can hopefully talk about Bonnie's in the tournament or Bonnie's in the yeah, end. And so, uh, yeah, Any- we'll keep in touch. Anytime you want to fill some time and get the number one team involved in the podcast, please. We're, we're one DM away. I'm in. Just let us know. We are happy to talk about the bonnies with all these people. And That's right. I say that now. And then two days when everybody listens to us on Monday, we're going to lose the LaSalle because that's always happened. And it always will happen is that LaSalle will LaSalle, which is lose the Fordham and then beat the top team in the conference. <laughs> that's about right. That's about right. All right, gentlemen. Thanks so much. All right. Hey, thank thank you. you. Okay. We are now joined by a10 talk and vcu contributor jason bowman uh he just joined our a10 talk team this year as a vcu contributor so we're very excited to get on get him on here and talk about the rams so uh jason how are you doing 
Uh, doing all right. Holt hanging in there, just trying to stay warm. And uh, best way to do that is watching some A-10 basketball. Yeah, man. So, uh, so tell me about yourself and kind of your relationship to VCU. All right, perfect. Uh, well, I'm a recent graduate, graduated in May. Uh, prior to that, I spent four years at WVCW, which is campus radio station at VCU. During that time, I did a lot of live broadcasts of men's and women's basketball, volleyball, baseball, really any sport that would let us go, we would do some soccer, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and that was really my intro to basketball. The first basketball game I ever really ever attended was the first game I broadcasted, which was talk about trial by fire. That was, oh my goodness. But I've attended way more since then. I was part of the fan club, the Rowdy Rams while I was at school. And since leaving school, I've really loved the basketball team. And I mean, I haven't been out for that long and it's just been this weird COVID year. So I haven't had a chance to go back yet, but A10 talk was a way to one, keep me uh, sharp writing when I was kind of in between jobs and then also just stay connected with the program. So I've been covering the program now. Oh, I guess this will be five years. Seems hard to believe, but yeah. So I'm just really passionate about VCU basketball and by extension, A10. So I've really enjoyed what I've covered so far and I hope y'all have enjoyed what I've contributed. All right, cool, man. Uh, yeah, it's great to have you on. We, uh, we haven't had like someone come on in a while and uh, just kind of write a lot about VCU. I mean, we've had Matt who takes a lot of photographs for VCU. So it's cool to get more content on them. Um, so uh, I'm going to just get right into it. I'm going to talk about fan bases. Um, <laughs> uh, so in general, do VCU fans just hate Dayton? Like, just tell me. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, as, as a group, yeah. Me personally, no. Well, well, that's, uh, that's the no nice offense, answer. That's the nice I liked answer. them last year because I really wanted them. I hate that the tournament got canceled because I was I was all the way in on Ovi and all of them. But yeah, as a group, yeah, to be diplomatic, <laughs> it's just so funny. So like, so who who would be your next biggest rival? I mean, let's let's just kind of lay it out there. We've kind of debated, you know, as fans, like just in my side, you know, you know, you have Richmond. That's this in town rivalry. I guess, but like, do you have like, an, is it like actually a rivalry with them or is it some, or is it like another school in the A-10 or in general? Oh, it's definitely Richmond. Uh, that's definitely, I almost put them above Dayton. I guess they just don't like the color red. Really? <laughs> but I don't know, but Richmond number one for sure is that's the games. Whenever I got put on a Richmond game, that's when I knew I've got a big one. And then Dayton as well is up there also. George Mason George Mason thinks George Mason VCU is a rivalry, but it's really not, not from our end of it. And the way the teams have been the last few years, that's, I would like it to be a lot more because, you know, in state, both in Virginia, but it's really Richmond number one for sure. And then Dayton right behind them. And oof, besides that, nobody else really Rhode Island because VCU always gets their butts kicked by them, but <laughs> that's really it. Yeah. So, uh, you know what? Let's get right into it. How do you feel after that Rhode Island win? Speaking of oh, the other Rams. Great. Amazing. I was texting some people that, uh, well, on Wednesday. So Wednesday morning, I was like, I'm not even excited about this game because I don't know when, uh, Hurley was there. They always lost. VCU always lost to them. And then when Hurley left, I was like, all right, perfect. Uh, new coach. Maybe they'll finally start winning against Rhode Island again. And it 
didn't happen. I think that's the first time VCU's won at Rhode Island in five, six years. So it's just, they, they, I don't know, it must be a mental block, but, and they'd also do it in that most dramatic way with Highland at the end with the three. My goodness, that was a fun game. So I don't even care that this weekend's game got wiped out because I can kind of ride the high from the VCU game for a good while uh, because they never beat Rhode Island. So it's, it's literally like, it's like winning the tournament almost, the A-10 tournament almost. It's like, this, that's the win of the year for sure. So like, does your fan base, does the VCU fan base, like, do they, do they chirp with Rhode Island fans at all? Like on Twitter or anything? Uh, hmm. Well, I, when I first started going to school more so than now that it's been so long, mostly because you kind of start chirping at them about the, well, I guess the rivalry, we'll call it a rivalry. And then Rhode Island fans will just go, yeah, we beat you like seven times in a row and knocked you out of the last three A-10 tournaments. And you're kind of like, yeah, I mean, you can't really come back from that. So after this game, yes. But recently it's been kind of, it's kind of hard to get excited for Rhode Island games because of the history there being so bad. But hopefully we see a lot more in the future. I love when fan bases get chippy like that on Twitter. Yeah, I do. It's kind of weird because like when you're in it, you're kind of like, damn it. Now I got to, now I got to chirp at these people about their team and all this shit. But, but at the end of the day, that's like what creates all the drama and like the, what makes like the games that much more intense, you know? And I just know this from, you know, playing, we play Rhode Island twice a year. Like you guys do too, it seems. So like we kind of have a little bit of a rivalry with Rhode Island. Plus back in like the early two thousands, like date and Dayton was like a big, big rival of Rhode Island. Like the, at least the players thought that. So it's kind of interesting to think what people think uh, about other rivalries, but anyway, um, I want to back it up a little bit uh, to before the season. So what was like your, your thinking and like the overall fan base thinking about this VCU team going into the season? Well, I'll go ahead and start. Hopefully VCU Twitter doesn't get mad at me for what I'm about to say, but VCU fans are kind of um, spoiled, I guess is the word in that they've had so much success over the last 10 years that any sort of down year or rebuilding year is like unacceptable. Oh my God, how could we possibly be 500 in conference play when really that's not that bad. Uh, I think preaching about to the, the choir, time. dude, you're preaching to the damn choir. That's, <laughs> yeah, that, I feel like that's the, that's, and that's, that's the thing. I don't mean to cut you off, but like, that's, that's kind of the thing with our programs. Cause like, we're the two like premier programs in the A-10. Like if the A-10 has a really, really good year, it's VCU Dayton at the top, like, you know, pick the random order. So like, it's good to have that kind of feeling, I think, but yeah, I agree with you, you know, like this year, like our year has kind of been a little bit crappy. So like, you know, we might finish, you know, sixth or seventh, but you know how many teams would kill to finish sixth or seventh in this league? Like, a lot. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, kind of, it's kind of crazy, but yeah, go ahead. No, saying Dayton's not even having that bad of a year. I mean, like your team's at the bottom. I, I talked about George Mason earlier. So it's still fresh in my mind. If they ever finished sixth or seventh in the conference, they would be popping bottles in Fairfax because that's just an amazing year. But going into this year, VCU was predicted, I believe it was ninth. I'm trying to think back. It was ninth yeah. in the conference was the preseason ranking, which mm -hmm. at first I was kind of like, I wrote a little season preview on the website. I think that was one of my first stories I wrote this year. I was kind of like, ninth seems kind of low. And then when I went through it, 
and saw all the talent that was gone. I mean, Jenkins was gone, Marcus Evans, Santos Silva transferred. I was like, oh my God, they lost all their top scorers. So I was thinking ninth kind of makes sense. So at first, I don't know. I didn't really expect this year to be, I expected a lot more of a rebuild, like the first year that Rhodes was here when Tillman was a senior. And Justin Tillman had that amazing year where he kind of just carried VCU when they were not that good, but definitely shattered expectations. I did not see this coming. And they're so young too. I think the team only has a couple seniors and they're not even the major contributors. So it's a lot better than I thought it would go. I mean, the fans still kind of melt down when there's losses. They melt the Bonaventure one, the St. Bonaventure one was brutal the way they lost that game. But I mean, I can't complain. They're well within contention for the double buy. And I checked Lenardi this morning for bracketology. And I think they was first four out, I think technically 70th, which I'll take that all day. It's kind of stinks to ride the bubble like that because it's going to be really stressful here in about a month, but cannot complain with this season at all. And I think the fans would probably agree as well, even though they do get a little, a little whiny when they do lose, but it hasn't happened that much this year. Thank goodness. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly would, I feel for him for the Bonaventure loss. Cause like that was just so out there. Like you dominate a first half and you score 14 total points in the second. Like that's just unheard. That's just unheard of. And even this VCU team is not bad offensively. I mean, they're 125 in, in Ken Palm, but like, I don't know. That's kind of a normal VCU team, you mm-hmm. know? No, exactly. And then St. Bonaventure's probably knock on wood. I think they're probably going to win the conference. Um, so that would have been a huge win, especially since that's really my one knock for VCU is I'm sure maybe we're going to get to that later. But what I think their biggest knock is they don't have a resume defining win. Uh, I'm trying to think top of my head, their biggest wins, probably what Memphis maybe. And it's like, that's not even that good of a win anymore. So I think that's what looking forward, they've got some big opportunities against St. Louis and Richmond and they let that one with St. Bonaventure slip away. So that's the, that's what made that even more brutal. And then the way it happened, like you said, is just, I think they had one point in the last nine minutes, which how, how does that even (laughs) with bones Highland too? How does that even happen? Yeah. You're I mean, you're preaching to the choir here with me. Cause during that Dayton VCU game, you know, I, I was, I was sitting there looking at the box scores. I'm like, damn, this game sucks. Cause like, it really should not, I mean, it should have probably been a lot closer if you look at Dayton holistically. And I'm not, I'm trying not to be as Homer as possible by saying that, like, it probably should not have been like a blowout, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just being a Dayton fan, looking at the box score of that game, I'm sitting there. I'm like, how the shit does Dayton shoot 15% from three? Like they, sh- they went over 13 to start the game. Like, I, I, I don't even understand how that happened. And I, I got a flack from a VCU fan on Twitter about it. Like that was a sorry ass fan, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll see if they shoot that shoot like that again. And then lo and behold, they went to St. Louis and shot 43% from three. So I, I mean, I really don't think that's going to happen again. Like, especially since VCU has got to come to Dayton where they kind of have struggled the past couple of years. Um, but anyway, uh, so kind of what's the goal now? We're, we're sitting in February, right? Where VCU is 13 and four. They're, uh, what are they in the conference now? Six and two, right? They're in great right, position. Yeah. So what's the overall fan perspective now about this Ram team? Oof. Well, it, I don't know. I mean, I think it's 
the rational fans would understand that St. Bonaventure and St. Louis kind of have top two seeds kind of on their own, even though St. Louis looked a little weak recently, they did beat St. Bonaventure today. So they're kind of back on track, but I think they're targeting that third seed. And with that third seed, try to build the at-large resume and then maybe make some noise in March with the A-10 tournament, especially with it. I know home court advantage doesn't really matter much when there's only going to be like 200 fans, but uh, just that in the back of your mind too, to have the A-10 tournament in Richmond, VCU, that's, I believe would be a benefit to both of those schools. So maybe get yourselves in a good position, shoot for that number three seed, and then hope to lock up the seed, the auto bid with the tournament, and then don't even have to worry about anything else that happens because VCU's really got to close out strong. Uh, they got two games against, well, scheduling's all fluid, but right now they have two games against Richmond and, a, and the St. Louis game still left before the season ends. So have to pick up probably two of those to feel really safe about an at-large and not even have to worry that much about the tournament. But that's really a long-winded way of saying that it's a lot better than a lot of fans anticipated. And right now they've really got their eyes set pretty high up and that third seed is definitely attainable I believe yeah absolutely um I think you guys are like right in line to get a top four uh Bones is like a player of the year candidate you know you got everything cooking for you right now so let's say VCU makes the tournament somehow some way you know whatever they have to do they make it right so what kind of team do you want them to play against in the NCAA tournament? I mean, you can compare it to a team in the A-10. You can say, you know, what kind of, you know, what are they better at offense or defense, you know? So just, just give, me, give me your thoughts on that. Hmm. Good question. I'm trying to think. I'm not too familiar. I've done a poor job keeping up with outside of the conference, but just thinking about types of teams, VCU is, their strong suit is defense. And I feel like it's been that way through all different coaching regimes going back to, uh, Coach Smart, Shaka Smart, back ten years ago. Oh yeah, Gosh, absolutely. Yeah, but, I mean that's that is literally it. And um, side question: based now we're talking about defense. Um, do you guys know how annoying your defense is? Like, as an <laughs> as an outside fan, <laughs> as an outside fan, like we're just like, how the hell can they play that like this the entire game? Because they can't. They like our joke as a fan base is always as Dane fans is always like. They're literally just gonna pressure you, and they're gonna they're gonna play the they can't call everything a foul game. Do you guys know that like that's super annoying as an outside now, fan base? I will say it's funny when you're on the other end of it because I went to a UVA game when UVA was hosting VCU. Oh my UVA, god, they're of the king of that. that. They're the yeah, king they're, of they defense. Play that style on steroids. So I'm watching the game, and I'm like, man, this is really frustrating, and I hate this. And I'm thinking like, this must be what other teams feel like when they play us, because I mean, it was the most frustrating thing in the world. And West uh -huh. Virginia was kind of like that too. And I'm like, Oh my God, what How? it's, Oh my God, it's so frustrating. So I'm glad that they're the good guys for me. It's like, I'm glad that I don't have to go against that because it would, my gosh, it's horrible. I know. <laughs> I, it's, I fully it's understand. Terrible. It's terrible. And it's funny because, you know, I, I'm a Steelers fan and, you know, Steelers are big on defense. Right. So like, I love defense, like watching it. Like I can watch it. Like I could watch that Super Bowl a couple of years ago with the Rams and Pats. And, you know, that was a defensive struggle. Like if I'm on the side of it, I love it. Cause it's like watching everyone struggle <laughs> is really funny. But when you go against it, like you said, it is just like the worst. So 
anyway, <laughs> we got kind of sidetracked, but back to uh, uh, the original question here, like what kind of team, like what kind of team, like do, do you hope like VCU would play against if they made the tournament? Well, again, with defense being their strong suit, as we mentioned, uh, it would be best to play a team that you almost want another team that has a strong defense. So that way it's kind of like iron on iron. And then you also don't have an offense that could maybe get hot and shoot over you. Uh, so you probably want a team that's, this sounds dumb because everybody wants a team that's weak on offense. So you can outscore them. But if it makes sense what I'm trying to say, I mean, you want to have those two defenses kind of go against each other. Maybe I just like defense too. I'm a Washington football team fan also. So again, big defense guy. So yeah. um, I would really like to see two really strong defenses play against each other because I think, having the offense not be as big of a problem, not have a team that can generate like 90, hundred points. I know that's not really realistic, but still not have a team that's capable of that. It's easier to manage and hold them down. And then VCU's offense isn't bad, but it's, I don't want to have to rely on them to win. So I, yeah, just put any team that could make it all in the defense's hand is exactly what I'm trying to go for in the tournament. So now let's, let's reverse the roles here. What kind of team would you hate for VCU to play? Hmm. Maybe it's too homery of me to say I'm not too worried about any team. I'm just, I'm just happy to be there. <laughs> but um, <laughs> just again, reverse the response. Any team that can, really, any team that's got, you know, what's a good point? VCU's kind of a small team. They've always been kind of a small team. This just came to my head. Any team that's got one or two really good, what I would call one or two big men, good centers good forwards because that could really bully down with the guards. I think that's would be the, the scariest thing. Any team that's got a strong post presence, because I know Hassan Ward's one of the best shot blockers, but then past him, uh, the defense is really guard play steals, things like that. So any team that's got, <laughs> I'm having flashbacks to the UCF game uh, when Taco Fall was in college, but any team that's got really good big men that can kind of dominate the paint, because I think that would be almost unstoppable for this defense on the Rams. Yeah. That, which kind of makes sense too. Cause you know, you lost a, what uh Rhode Island team that gets a lot of points in the paint and you lost to a, a Bonaventure team with Oshun who gets a lot of points in the paint. Exactly. So, Oshun was who I was visualizing there. I'm thinking about the St. Bonaventure. He's just amazing. Any team that's got a guy like him would be, would cause problems. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, final question here. Um, what's the deal with the number six final ranking banner above center court? <laughs> Fortunately, they've gotten rid of that, I think. They did. I don't did. think that's there anymore. Yeah, I think they got roasted so much for it. But, I mean, gosh. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, I know. I'm our glad fans I wasn't did it. I legit yeah. think our fans did it. <laughs> Bullying works because that that's such a stupid – oh, my God. I'm so glad they got rid of that because that's – that's like the Colts AFC finalist banner in the NFL. It's like, the, what, you don't need a banner for that. They have the really cool final four one from Houston. That's got the really cool logo on it. And I was like, that's enough. I mean, you don't need number six. Number six is like, all right, cool. Dayton was what fourth? They should get a banner. Yeah, I know. We, we talk about it all the time. So it's actually really funny because like in UD arena, we have zero banners hanging anywhere. Like all of our like accolades, like, and we have a final four too, like back in the sixties, obviously, mm -hmm. but like, you know, that's like something you would want to like show to like literally everyone that comes to your house. So 
uh, they have all their like accolades, championships, like tournament went, whatever, you know, whatever accolades they're all on like the side wall in like the dark. It's like the <laughs> most weird thing. And we've been calling for like, Hey, can we get like a banner or two, you know, maybe it's a show, but I mean, you know, I don't know. It, it's a very modern arena, but yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> so when that final ranking banner was up, were like fans, like actually like proud of it or, <laughs> or no. Uh, uh, I don't really know because it was partially before my time. I know, I think people now are kind of in on the joke that it kind of was. They're kind of like, that was kind of a silly thing that we did. Uh, maybe back then when it was first, when it first went up, but people were probably like, yeah, we were number six. That's so cool. But now they're probably like, that wasn't really worth a banner. So yeah. I think it, 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 it served its purpose and now it's gone forever and that's for the best for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. So uh, if you're a Dayton fan out there, we bullied them to take an entire banner down from their center court. So exactly. Yeah. Field, you can quote me on them. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, we'll definitely keep in touch the rest of the year. I mean, cause we uh, kind of run a site together, but also mm-hmm. to uh, come on the pod and uh, talk maybe more about VCU as we get closer to tournament time. Albeit if they don't drop any landmines. <laughs> Exactly. That's that's fingers crossed that they're able to navigate this conference schedule. And thanks again for having me on the podcast. I enjoy it and I'd love to be back on sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Great segment there. We're going to move on to uh, mailbox questions. So I put out a tweet through a 10 talk. If you're not following us, please do. I think most of you are, uh, about putting some questions on our pod and we're going to try and do this every podcast. So if you have a question at all, maybe you're curious about, uh, right now you can always DM us. Uh, we're more than happy to, uh, answer you. Um, you can also tell us, Hey, I think this is a great question. Uh, would you mind sharing your thoughts on the show? I will be happy to do that for you as long as it's not like some stupid question like when is Fordham going to leave the A10? Like we can all stop that now. Like it's it's been like an overdone bit. So uh, I Chris, that I, I have I have it's to overdone. Jump. It is so annoying. <laughs> yeah, like everyone knows your everyone knows everyone's thoughts on Fordham. Like no one's a genius for thinking oh Fordham should be out of the A10. Like we. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to give my thoughts on that, but like, I know like the collective argument, the A10 Twitter community is like, we want Fordham out. We want LaSalle out. Well, I mean, okay, well, that's great and all, but it's probably not going to happen. So we can put it to rest. Anyway, our first question comes from uh, Ryan. I don't know how, I think I'm going to mispronounce this name. So I apologize. Ryan Heiss. It's at R-M-H-E-I-S-C-13. And he asks uh, about what is like the ideal coach for Fordham. So um, this is actually a pretty interesting question because we really we really haven't seen success at Fordham since the 90s because the last time they made the tournament was 92. So um, that was before they joined the A-10. So um, for me, it's pretty much a guy who can recruit in New York. Maybe that's requiring a New York guy. Uh, kind of like Ashley Howard is a Philly guy. So like he can recruit in Philadelphia, DC area kind of thing. So I really think that's like their first start, but 
Uh, I think the biggest thing that Fordham is going to need from a coach is a guy who can recruit a 10 talent. Um, we kind of see this problem with George Mason as well with Dave Paulson. Uh, he, he's a great guy, great, uh, good coach, uh, good culture, but he is often losing recruiting battles to, for a 10 talent. Um, and what I mean by a 10 talent is like three star players and maybe the occasional four star. That's kind of where a 10 talent lies. It's like in that three star or a high, high two star. So I actually ended up last night uh, Googling a lot of Fordham recruits over the last couple of years. And I, I hate to tell you this, but like Fordham's recruits, they really do not have many three stars. The only one uh, that is of note is Joel Soriano, which is probably their best player this year. So it makes sense, right? He's like an A-10 caliber player. Uh, before that it was Nick honor and he transferred before that it was Eric Pascal and he transferred. So, uh, looking at guys like Chris Austin, Ty Perry, uh, Navarro, those guys, like they're like one-star recruits. And I know like stars don't mean everything in the a 10. Um, and it's okay to take a chance on a guy like that. If you think you can develop him, if you have a relationship with him, something like that, like with Anthony Grant did with Obi Toppin. But if you get all your players like that, then you're not really recruiting at the highest level that you can as an A-10 school. So uh, for me, and I know this is a little long, so I'll wrap it up here in a minute, but uh, I really think it's going to be either Jared Grass or Luke Murray. Uh, Sam Basil said it on a, on a podcast earlier that we did. Uh, Fordham, uh, Jared Grasso is a former, former, a former assistant and interim head coach at Fordham. Uh, he's a long Island native. He he's coached at Bryant and he's really improved the, the Bryant program to what it is now. Uh, so he would be a, probably a very, uh, good candidate, but the other one that Sam likes, and I like as well as Luke Murray, uh, he's, he's the nephew of Bill Murray, which is kind of cool. So if you get Bill Murray at Fordham games, that would be awesome. Uh, but He's also an assistant coach at Louisville under Chris Mack. He's been in a successful program with Louisville and Xavier. Um, he is really good recruiter. Um, he's also, I'm pretty sure he, he's a New York guy. Um, so he's been all over, you know, Rhode Island, Townsend, Wagner, Arizona. So he's got a lot of success in some smaller schools that have good programs, but also some big time schools that know how to run an A10 pro or not an A10 program, but run like a run a very successful program. So I think Luke Murray would be the best. Jared Grasso will get some looks. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my overall thought about that. What about you? So can I ask you a real quick question? Are did you get those names because they're being floated around? Or are those just names that you think are just are just good? good people to, to bring in. I just want to clarify for my own sake. Uh, both. So I kind of did some Googling just to like, okay, so like who are like the top like assistants in college basketball right now? And who are like the top, like low major schools, you know, or like that are doing like those one big leagues, you know, like what are the best schools in those leagues right. and what are the, who are the coaches there? Well, like, one name I also saw was Andy Toole. He's also a New York, I think he's a Brown in New York guy. I can't remember, but he's the coach of Robert Morris and he's done an incredible job there. So, and obviously Jared Grasso, um, Luke Murray, just because he's a big, he's a head coach or assistant coach 
at a big time program. So, and a lot of those guys, just like Ashley Howard at Villanova, they, they get, they get looks all the time from these smaller schools that need help building a program. So that's kind of where I went with it, but go ahead. Okay. So I was on the gold standard podcast a couple days ago, and I don't think they published it because the St. Joe's game got canceled. It was like a St. Joe's preview. And they asked me about the Fordham job. So I, they, they had proposed this to me and I kind of liked it. And I've been thinking about this person more and more. And that is Phil Martelli. Someone who has won an A-10 title before, multiple A-10 titles before, Phil Martelli. Someone who's recruited in the New York area. Well, DeAndre Bembry went to St. Patrick's up in North Jersey. That's the New York area. Well, you can get Phil Martelli, and he can recruit in that area. You can recruit in Philadelphia. He can recruit in New York. And quite frankly, New York doesn't have powerhouse basketball programs. I know people have been saying Phil Martelli should go to George Mason or some – I know PD Pandemic has been saying this too. He wants, he wants Phil Martelli at George Mason. Um, but – the DC area is much more competitive. You have Villanova coming down there. You have LaSalle coming down there. GW, George Mason, Georgetown, Virginia. It's a very competitive city to be in. New York, Seton Hall, and St. John's, and that's it. And you're, you're Fordham. Who, who, Iona's not stepping on your toes. And uh, Manhattan College isn't stepping on your toes. And Ryder and Princeton. The, I think Phil Martelli, he's a proven recruiter. He's won in the Atlantic 10 before. He's still coaching. He's an assistant at Michigan, and I'm sure if they got offered a good job, Fordham is a historic program. I think he would love to raise a historic program from the ashes like Fordham, and then it would be the ultimate revenge story of him turning Fordham good while St. Joe's potentially doesn't get better. It, it, it really, from a, from a pure basketball standpoint to a recruiting standpoint to a narrative standpoint, Phil Martelli is a very interesting candidate, and I think Fordham would be foolish not to at least interview him. I know he's old. That's a valid criticism. He's an older person. You're not building for 30 years in the future. You're maybe building for 10, but maybe a, a little bit of a quick get rich quick scheme with a guy who's been around the block multiple times. Yeah. So that was going to be my first question um, about Phil Martelli. Uh, you know, if you're if you're hiring a guy like Phil Martelli, I mean, there's a lot of positives going there. There's no question about that. Uh, the only thing I'm really thinking about is just long-term, like does Fordham, you know, does Fordham want to invest in a short-term guy who probably retires, you know, in eight to 10 years? I don't know if that's the case, um, but he is a formidable name in the A-10. He knows the A-10. A lot of the same coaches that coached when he was in the A-10 are still there. Um, he's coached some of them before. Um, he can he, recruit. He can recruit. Um, there's no doubt about that. Uh, the only other question I have about him is, and this is just from my own knowledge, but what was the state, and you can answer this, uh, what was the state of St. Joe's basketball uh, when Phil Martelli got hired? It was middle of the pack, bottom of the pack. Uh, wasn't like it was when he left St. Joe's. Like it was, we're in a much worse situation from a recruit and talent standpoint. I would say that it was maybe equal to the, cause they had gotten rid of Jim Boyle, who was like an average coach at the end of his tenure. St. Joe's was kind of in the, yeah, they were kind of reeling and he showed up. And in the first, his most successful seasons were from his hiring to the 2004, which is like an eight year span. Um, and I'm going to rebut your, I'm not going to rebut. I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm going to ease your concerns about the elderly part or the aging part and the long-term view. 
if you're Fordham, you have nothing to lose. So why not bring in Coach Martelli to prop you up for eight years? And then when he retires, it's not like you're going to clear house. People aren't going to leave the program like when he was uh, released from St. Joe's where we started from scratch. He comes in for eight years, builds something up. You find an assistant to bring through the ranks with him. And then when he retires, he leaves you with this seven-year you know, cache of goods of recruits in the pipeline and everything. It might be a short-term goal, but why can't that short-term goal be one where he kind of sets the bed for you for your next real long-term hire? Yeah, I mean, that that's a good idea too. So the one reason I asked about where St. Joe's was uh, when Phil Martelli got hired was because Fordham pretty much has to start from scratch. Like they have, there's no, there's no foundation that was laid by Jeff Neubauer. Like there's just absolutely nothing. There's no, there's no program identity. This program has been bottom four for, I don't know how many years now. It's just like, you're completely starting over. And I, I also wrote here that you need a guy that who has had success building a program from the ground up Um, because I mean, and and Phil Martelli might be a great candidate for that too. Cause like he built St. Joe's to what it is. So for me, we need a guy that's going to advocate for Fordham to get facilities for Fordham to upgrade, like everything about the program. Cause like, that's the one thing that a lot of programs in the A-10 are doing now. And you've seen him with Duquesne, who's a, who's very like similar in that they have like a, it's like a smaller school, um, not as big of a basketball following, but still like still has a rich history. Uh, they need, they need to modernize their program because I, I know me as I'm almost 30 myself. Uh, I love history. And what does Fordham have on their thing on the, on what's their niche about their program? Well, they play in the oldest gym in college basketball. You know, who doesn't give a shit about that 18 and 19 year old recruits. So like, and that's not knocking on Rose Hill. Like it's still an intimate setting for college basketball recruits don't care about that. Like kids don't care about that nowadays. And if you get a kid that does that, he's probably a history major. So, and most of these (laughs) kids are not. So, I mean, that's just like my start of it. Yeah. And that's kind of what Dayton did too. You know, they capitalized on their elite eight run by the next year, re rebranding the program. Uh, And then they drew up plans to remodel UD arena, which had not been renovated in a long time. So, and now Duquesne, like they completely rebranded, changed the program, you know, hired a big time head coach. And now they're, now they're moving up in the A-10, you know, standings and, and like program awareness. So uh, to kind of put a camp on it, so we can move on to the next question. um, I think we added a lot, um, really good insight. And I think we'll just kind of have to wait and see after the off season where, uh, where Fordham goes. Can I correct myself real quick, Chris? Because I just want to, I said something wrong. I said Jim Boyle was the coach before Phil Martelli. It was John Griffin. I just wanted to add that in there real quick because I know some history majors probably worried. (laughs) You're good, man. All right. So moving on here. Um, Second question. If the season ended today, would St. Louis make the tournament? This was by Jack Capotis uh, at Jack the Jigger. I love it. Um, So uh, I would say, yeah. Um, because that, that St. Bonaventure win kind of put him on the right side of the bubble. I think Joe Lenardi had him as a first four out along with VCU and Richmond, which is kind of scary for the eight ten, really. But yeah, SLU probably makes it in. Uh, they're probably up like a 10 or 11 seed. If not, they're a last four, they're a last four in kind of team. Um, 
Plus, I mean, they're they're they have wins against LSU and NC State. They're not that great right now, but they're not like you know they're they're recognizable. But uh, the Bono win helps uh, get them on the right side of the bubble. What about you, Anthony? So I totally agree. I think um, I, especially after the St. Bonaventure's win, it really puts them in a, a more solid footing. Uh, I think it showed the committee that you know St. Louis St. Louis didn't lose its touch. It might have lost an upset to LaSalle based on COVID, but when push came to shove and they had to play hard, good basketball, and those first 14 minutes of that game were unbelievable, St. Louis did that, and I think that showed the committee, hey, we're still a good team. And I just want to say this. I could also see the committee going, you know, so what? Everyone's got to deal with COVID, and then they hit you hard for like a LaSalle loss or whatever, and saying, you know, just because you're coming off of COVID doesn't mean anything. Everyone's got to deal with it. However, I think that, that's unlikely. They want the A-10 to have more than one bid. I, I, I'm a firm believer in that. I think the NCAA tournament does have the Atlantic 10's interest in heart a little bit. And so I think St. Louis is the best team right now, and they're probably the most likely to get that bid um, from the Atlantic 10, even more so than St. Bonaventure. Yeah, you're not wrong there. Um, it's kind of funny, though. The eight, We always joke about, you know, A-10, a one bid is creeping up on the A-10. But, and for how badly the A-10 always cannibalizes itself throughout this, throughout the conference season, uh, we've still gotten multiple bids for like the past, I don't know, decade or so, like the past couple years. Last year, we pr- most, Ken Palm says Richmond would have got in. So I'm going to say, you know, we would have got two bids last year. Previous year, VCU got there and uh, so did St. Louis. Previous year we had, I think it was what, um, I think we got about two or three teams in, but still the, this league, no matter how hard it tries to shoot itself multiple times in the feet, it still gets multiple bids. <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing. Um, so we're going to move on though. Last question. And I had a lot of fun with this. Anthony had a very difficult time with this. So that's why I'm going to answer it. And I'm, I'm going to let Anthony kind of analyze what my thoughts were on this question. So this comes from Jeremy Schwab at Jer Schwab. Uh, His question is, what are your way too early 2021-22 power rankings? Uh, And I'm going to do this assuming no underclassmen leave uh, in the transfer for the draft or anything like that. So like this is just basically on who's graduating and who's coming in. Uh, I have one St. Bonaventure. They're returning the entire team, uh, plain and simple. Uh, number two, I have VCU. Uh, they're basically returning the entire team and they're only losing Stockard. Uh, three, uh, I have UMass. Uh, they're losing Carl Pierre, but that's it. Um, assuming Trey Mitchell comes back. Uh, number four, I have Dayton. Um, they're losing a lot, but their incoming freshman class is the best in the A-10 and one of the best in the country. Um, they got a couple four-star recruits, an ESPN top 50 recruit. Um, he, they're also going to get back Dwayne Cohill. Um, they're, they're going to bring back a lot. I have a lot of thoughts on them, but I'll save it for another podcast. Number five, I have LaSalle. Um, this, they're bringing back an entire team that's growing, uh, and they're winning games that we thought maybe they shouldn't, but maybe this is just a sign that, uh, they're Ashley Howard's turning the program around. So I think if LaSalle has a year where they're going to be up in the a 10, it's next year. Uh, number six, I have slew, uh, they're losing Goodwin Perkins French, but they still have, 
uh, Jimerson, Jacobs, Bell, Collins, Thatch. Uh, still a very solid team uh, for next year, even though they're losing a lot. Uh, number seven, I have Duquesne. They're losing Weathers and Hughes, but they're really promising group of young guys. Plus, uh, Keith Dambrot's been just an incredible coach for that program. So I really think they'll keep it up next year. Number eight is Rhodey. Uh, they're losing fats and shepherd, but they're bringing back a few juniors, um, some experienced guys. So maybe they can make some noise there. Uh, number nine, I have Davidson. Uh, they're bringing back three starters, but they're losing Grady. So it's just like, are they going to find that guy again? That's like Grady who can like kind of win them games. Number 10, I have George Washington. Uh, they're bringing back most of their guys, including Bishop and battle. So we'll see how they do though. Uh, 11, I have Mason. They're losing uh, Javon Green and A.J. Wilson, but they're bringing back uh, Jordan Miller, Oduro, Kolek. Um, some might transfer knowing Paulson isn't the future of this program. So it'll be interesting to see you know, what happens with that program, though. Uh, 12, I have St. Joe's. Um, my question, Anthony, you can answer this, though. Is Funk, uh, is he a junior or a senior? I believe he's a junior. He's a junior. Okay, so he'll be back for one more year, right? I uh, believe so, but I'm going to do some quick Googling. Yeah, because Ken Palm has junior, and I thought he was a senior, but that's just me. Um, but St. Joe's is bringing back all their guys, and I think this is just kind of a year. They're just going to get through it, and after all the injuries, and maybe they'll come back and win a few more games next year, but it might be kind of a little bit more of a rebuild for St. Joe's than we thought. Um, 13, I have Richmond cause they're just losing everyone. Like this was the year. And if they don't get to the tournament this year, then, uh, Chris Mooney's going to have a lot of fire under his seat. Um, and then 14, I have Fordham cause they're basically going to have to start over from the ground up. Um, overall I'm really worried. This is probably going to be one of the, uh, weakest eight tens we've seen in a long time. Uh, this year there's a ton of experience and, and that experience rides a lot with seniors, especially some of these lineups that are all senior lineups like Richmond, uh, some of St. Louis Dayton's even one of them. Uh, so it's really going to be Bana and VCU next year. That's, that's just really what I see. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts, Anthony, on that list? So I looked it up. Uh, he is a redshirt junior because he got injured last year and he got eligibility for that um, ah. since this 25 games with that. Uh, he broke his ankle, not his ankle. He broke his uh, wrist, uh, Taylor Funk. But yeah, no, I think your your rankings were really interesting, Chris. Number one, St. Bonaventure. The fact that they're bringing everyone back, that's like the one bright spot. And it's like, even if the like Bones Highland for VCU, he's going to be around still. So even with like the lack of depth in the conference, you're still looking at a two-bid league, right? If VCU and St. Bonaventure do what they're supposed to do, I don't know if we're that like worried about the conference completely falling off. It's probably going to be not as deep, probably less cannibalization, which is better for those two top teams. But really interesting, really something that fans should keep in mind as this year goes on. Let's see the, the progress that VCU and St. Bonaventure make for this year. You know, that's a lot to build on for next. Uh, five for LaSalle, really interesting. Totally agree. This is a super deep team. They've got great center play with Clifton Moore, who I want to see more from, um, mind the pun, but great rim protection, great perimeter defense if they really want to feel like playing that, that game. And they've got great freshmen. They're literally missing one 
good player, like great score. Sharif Kenny's come out of the woodwork. He's a great player. I want to see, I want to see Ashley Howard bring in the guy though, bring in the guy. And then, then we can talk about you being a top five team. Um, but they're a really interesting case study. George Washington. I thought George Washington on your rankings would fall, especially as these transfers happened. However, you're right in thinking that GW kind of recovered from those early transfers like Jameer Nelson Jr., for example. I don't know that much about them, but I found that very interesting that their situation isn't as bad as someone like an outsider like me might have might have seen them as. And then 12 St. Joe's. I am I look at LaSalle last year. They had a terrible A10 record. They were probably more disappointing than St. Joe's this year based on the fact that I thought they were going to be a better team. I knew St. Joe's was going to be bad this year. Um, it was going to be a struggle. And then the injuries just made it worse. Uh, Jordan Hall, I don't think enough people talk about him. So dynamic. He's learning everything he learned, needs to learn this year. And I think he's going to be a major impact player next year. And Taylor Funk coming back, I just see a really bright future with those guys. There's still a lot of pieces that need to be figured out, but I don't think all is lost at St. Joe's. I just think it's a really bad situation. And the only way out is through, uh, they just, they're justified to be at the bottom right now. I can't talk their way out of it. However, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. It can get, can get better. Question is, will it? Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. This question was a lot of fun to figure out. Um, it was also very difficult because the only two things I was kind of really sure about was uh, St. Bonaventure and VCU being the top two. Um, but after that, I thought it was like a crapshoot. I really had to look at rosters. Um, you know, look, I the thing is, I know it seems kind of homer to put Dayton near the top, but I, I really... I really like the team that they're kind of bringing back next year. It kind of reminds me of LaSalle this year where like you're getting a lot of uh, wild cards that could score on any given night. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, um, it was really, it was really difficult other than Bana and VCU. I really didn't know what to do. So um, thank you for Jeremy Schwab for giving me that question. That was really uh, a hard one to really think about. So um, we're going to move on to our last segment. Uh, it's basically a really short one. One thing to watch for this week. Uh, so I'm going to let you start, Anthony. Is there anything you're looking for in particular for this week of A10 Hoops? Yeah, we got to put St. Bonaventure on notice. They got scheduled to play LaSalle, and we all know what LaSalle does best. Beat the best and lose to the worst. Um, so it's actually I actually find it a really interesting case study, this LaSalle team. As we've said throughout the whole show, they're just very interesting. And so I'm going to be looking at, can they beat St. Bonaventure? And then can they even beat George Washington? I mean, they lose to Fordham and then they beat St. Louis. What happens if the same thing happens this week? They beat St. Bonaventure and lose to George Washington. It's just a crazy case study. This team is just all over the board. And I kind of find it interesting. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, LaSalle probably is very, very upset uh, losing to Fordham. They had a chance to go six and six in the conference this week uh, just by beating Fordham. They would have gotten six and six, uh, but now they are dropped to five and seven. And now they're kind of back in that, like, maybe they might make the 11th spot in the pillow fight, but I really think they're kind of clear of that as of right now. We'll see how Mason does. Um, but yeah, uh, watch out Bonaventure. My one thing to watch is URI. So Rhode Island uh, lost a stinker to UMass. Uh, 
very bad coaching blunder appears by David Cox scouting Trey Mitchell. Uh, he revealed that as we talked about earlier <laughs> in the press conference. So that was really bizarre. So uh, URI plays St. Louis this week. Uh, you know, I don't really think Rody's going to win this game, but are they going to make it somewhat close? Cause they really have not looked good in the past three games. They've they're uh, they're on a three game losing streak. Uh, they're playing a slew team. That's going to come. That looks like they got their groove back. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Rhode Island. Um, but yeah, that's it for that segment. Uh, and then we'll close this show with our final thoughts. So Anthony, what are your final thoughts for this show? Uh, I'm going to come away with two things. One, see, uh, there are what we have like five, six teams in the Kempom top 100 or something like that. I think I saw that on Twitter. Yeah. All is not lost in the Atlantic 10. We can cannibalize ourselves all we want. People know that we have good teams and that's why there's a lot of turnover going on right now. It's not because we all stink. It's because we're really competitive and really good as a league. And so for everyone who wants to fret about us taking wins away from one another uh, in order to not get the two bids or three bids that we'd like, I think a lot more people in the mainstream news outlets or mainstream publications understand the fact that this is a really competitive conference and that these wins, they, they do mean something in the fact that they're quality. They're not just bad losses all the way across the board. My second thing is this, please, if you're listening to the show, rate and review it if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We want to spread the news about A10 Talk. We want to spread the news about this website and this podcast. The more five-star reviews you leave on Apple Podcasts, the more we spread the news of the Atlantic 10. So please do your part. Help spread the news about our writings and now our recordings. Absolutely. That was going to be uh, part of my final thoughts too. Uh, basically follow us on Twitter at Jelly Morelli at not private pile and at a 10 talk, subscribe, like five stars, all that jazz. Um, send us your questions for the show. Um, even in the DMS, like I talked about earlier, uh, we might answer in the next show. Um, you know, answer us, uh, when I have these little Q and A's, uh, they're actually a lot of fun. Uh, even if we're like trolling each other. So, uh, yeah. Um, for, for myself and for Anthony, uh, this is the A10 Talk podcast and we will see you next time.